Good morning. Welcome. I'm so glad to be together. It is so good, so refreshing to be able to worship together, um, to sing God's praises, to fellowship together, um, and just be reminded of truth and reminded of who he is together. Um, so if you're not familiar with me, my name is Hunter, and I'm a member here at Bedrock, um, and I have the exciting opportunity today to preach um, God's word this morning. Um, I don't get to do this often, but I love being able to come up and just share God's word um, with you all. Um, so if you've been here the past couple weeks, or maybe you haven't, um, the past few weeks we've been going through the book of Joshua. We've been studying the life, um, his life, as well as the life of the Israelites um, uh, after they just left the Exodus. Um, and wandering in the desert for 40 years. And so our focus um, throughout the sermon series so far has been learning to align with the God of promise. That's been kind of like the, the, the slogan for, <laughs> for the sermon that, or the series that we've been going through. And we've been learning like who God is and that he's the one who not only makes promises for his people, but he's faithful to um, deliver on those promises. And so we've covered a lot so far. And just kind of like what I just mentioned, in the book of Joshua. So we're coming out of this period of time where the Israelites were um, delivered out of captivity from the Egyptians. And so they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years, and that's a long time. Um, and so they were wandering in the desert for 40 years, and we came to the beginning of Joshua, we learned that, okay, Moses has recently died. Moses was the one who was leading the people um, in that time frame. And so Moses recently passed away, and now the mantle uh, has passed on to Joshua, his assistant. Um, to continue leading God's people um, as they're, you know, about to head into the land. So God specifically takes Joshua aside and said, hey, I, we're, we're about to cross the Jordan. We're about to go into the land that I promised you. And so he encourages Joshua and the people. He says, be strong and courageous um, as you go into the land and to make preparations for their journey as they cross the river and are about to enter the land. So um, before they cross, what uh, Drew was talking about last week, Joshua sends two spies over into um, the land of um, land, the, the promised land, and they specifically go to a place called Jericho. Um, and it's at Jericho where these soldiers come find out that they're there, and they're trying to get rid of them. So they're walking around trying to find them, and they take refuge at the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And this is just a wild story that we talked about last week: how Rahab decides to choose fidelity to God. She knows, she has heard of him. She's seen what he has been able to do and heard about what he's been able to do. And she chooses fidelity to him rather than fidelity to even her own people or even the gods of her own nation. And so she, what, the way that she specifically does that is when the soldiers are tr looking around trying to find the spies, she's hiding um, the two spies up on the roof of her house. And so the soldiers come by and they're like, hey, have you seen the, these two guys? She's like, no, I don't really know, but maybe they went that way. You should go that way. And so they, <laughs> they run off over there. And um, it's just so cool seeing her faithfulness. If she heard about who God is and decides to take the step of obedience and faith and trusting him by hiding the spies. And um, uh, because of that, they tell her, like, okay, hey, okay, so because of your faithfulness um, to God, like, you're going to be spared when we come in to, uh, to take the land. But just put a red cord outside your window so that, you know, we know, like, not to go there um, and that you and your family are spared. Um, and so. Um, when the spies return, um, they tell them the good news. It goes back to Joshua and just say, truly, like, the Lord has given the land into our hands. And, like, all the inhabitants melt away because of us. And so we see that, like, in these first two chapters, God is preparing his people for something miraculous. Um, and what we're going to read today is about just a story about God's incredible faithfulness to his people. Um, it's a story that's going to remain in the hearts of the people for generations and generations to come. And this was something that the people have been waiting for for so long, for 40 years wandering in the desert, and the time has finally come. Um, and I think that there can be like a temptation um, to kind of read a story like this and be like, cool, they crossed the river, or, you know, that doesn't seem that significant. But this was a significant moment in the lives of the people that they had heard this promise from God that he was going to bring them into this land that he had prepared for them. And now this moment has come for them to be able to cross the river. So we're going to be specifically today in Joshua chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're actually going to be in uh, chapters 3 and 4. So we have a lot of ground to cover today. <laughs> so got a lot of reading to do. Um, but uh, feel free to flip over there if you have a Bible. There's also Bibles on the ends. Or feel free to look on your phone um, or tablets if you have them. Um, but before we dive into the passage, let's just go before the Father together in prayer.
God, this morning we're um, so grateful, so thankful to wake up another day, have life and breath in our lungs. God, to be able to worship you, to praise you, to be able to sing your praises. Um, God, thank you for the songs that you've given us to sing of, of your praise or worship to you. God, because you're, you're deserving of all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. God, as we read this story today about um, your faithfulness, God, would you remind us of your character? Would you remind us that, God, you're the one who provides for your people, that you take care of your people? Um, you have not left them or abandoned them. And that's so true for us, too, that, God, you have not left us or abandoned us. And so, God, I don't know um, what we're bringing to the table this morning. Um, I don't know what's on our hearts. But God, you do. And so this morning, I pray that you would prepare our hearts for what you want to do. That you would remind us of your faithfulness, of your goodness. And that you alone, Lord, would get all the glory and all the honor through our praise and worship this morning. Would you draw us to yourself, fix our eyes upon you, Jesus. It's all for your glory, all for your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. We're going to be in the first few verses of chapter 3, um, where we're going to start. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 real quick. Okay, so it says, um, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you should go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. So I think as we read this passage today, um, there's a lot of uh, historical things that we just read. Um, so it's kind of helpful to, we're going to talk through a couple of those things. Um, but also I thought it would be helpful. You notice that I have a whiteboard up here, and I thought it'd be fun to do a little geography lesson for us. So we're going to draw a simple, very simple, basic map of Israel. And feel free to follow along. It's pretty straightforward. Um, but I don't know if you've ever like wanted to learn like how to draw a map of Israel. But there's a fun little way to do it. Um, so feel free to follow along. Sorry if you can't see if you're on the edges, but I'll try to talk you through it if you want to follow along. All right, so uh, there's a couple of different landmarks that are really big with you know, orienting ourselves through the land of Israel. So the first thing that we would want to note is the Sea of Galilee, which is kind of like a rough balloon shape. Um, so I'm just going to kind of draw like a rough little balloon shape. That's going to represent the Sea of Galilee. And then you have the Jordan River coming down little squiggly line right there um, because the river isn't straight. So, uh, so we're just going to do this little squiggly line. It's almost like the, the string to a balloon. Um, and then the next, uh, so yeah, this represents the Sea of Galilee. This represents the Jordan River. And then now we're going to draw the Dead Sea, which the Jordan River flows into. So the way that I think about how to draw this is like maybe like a sweet potato that you took like a bite out of the bottom right-hand corner of it. That's the only thing that came to mind as I was thinking through this. We're just going to draw this like long, like oval shape, and then like kind of bite into it a little bit, and then come back up, and that's the Dead Sea. <laughs> um, okay, so those are the major like water kind of landmarks, and then we're going to draw the coastline. So if you come over here, um, you're going to draw us down, you're going to hook it over to the left a little bit, and you're going to come back down, you're going to swoosh it out. And that's a very basic map of Israel. <laughs> so uh, so I don't, it's very simple, so if you ever want to try it, go for it. Um, so to kind of orient us our, ourselves further, so we find that the people are in Shatim. So I'm going to just do a little X right here. This is Shatim. Um, so this is where the Israelites are right now, and they're going to cross the river, and they're going to towards Jericho. Sorry, my handwriting is super sloppy. So we've got Jericho. So this just kind of orients us like where we're at. So we're on the eastern side of the Jordan, and guys like, okay, we're going to cross the Jordan, go towards Jericho. Um, so they're lodging at the Jordan before crossing over. They're preparing themselves, probably getting everything ready, getting their kids ready, getting all their belongings together, getting ready to cross the river. Um, and so 
we specifically see in this passage that the officers go to inform the Israelites, once you see the Ark of the Covenant being carried by the Levitical priests, that's when you need to get up and follow. Um, and so I think it's helpful to provide um, some helpful context. So let's talk about the Ark of the Covenant. You may not be fam very familiar with that. The Ark of the Covenant was first mentioned back um, in the Exodus when um, God was sharing with Moses about the instructions for how to build the tabernacle, um, which would be like God's dwelling place among his people. Um, and uh, so we, the Ark was going to be considered like an object that was within the tabernacle. Um, and specifically, it was like a wooden box that was covered in gold. Um, and it was probably, so it was going to be built like built about 40 years before this moment. Um, and it specifically would hold the tablets holding like the Ten Commandments. So um, specifically, it was like symbol symbolically showing like God's covenant with his people, like the Mosaic Covenant. Um, and I also want to just point out this really significant uh, point that the Ark of the Covenant would have symbolically represented God's presence with his people. I think that's really important as we kind of go throughout the rest of the story, seeing the, the place that the Ark of the Covenant has in the story that really represents God's presence and dwelling among his people. So um, the one thing I also want to mention is that the Ark would be carried by the Levitical priests. That's what the text also says. So the Levitical priests, they were people from the tribe of Levi um, who would minister in the tabernacle. So they would have helped out with the sacrifices um, in the Old Testament sacrificial system. Um, and they were the only ones designated to carry the ark. So no one else could carry the ark but the Levites. We see that in Deuteronomy 31.9. And also just a note, like this ark, the box was, like the ark of the covenant was not on, like, on wheels. So they weren't just like pushing it. I also imagine that in a desert, that wouldn't be very fun. Um, so, but it had poles. So the, the Levites would, would carry the ark of the covenant on poles. Um, and so... The next thing that we, we know, like historically about the passage is that God, specifically there's instructions that yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Um, it says, do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So they're specifically instructed to follow the ark once the Levitical priests begin to carry up the ark towards the Jordan, but they're not supposed to follow too closely. Um, I think that what this kind of shows for us is God's like, I want everyone to be able to see like what I'm about to do, what I'm about to stop up these waters. Um, and so he kind of just doesn't want them to be like right up close to it where like a couple people could see, but just like that everyone would be able to witness what God's about to do. And also just to point out the fact that we don't really use cubits as a standard of measurement <laughs> nowadays. Uh, so to help give us some perspective, um, 2,000 cubits would have been considered like about a distance of 1,000 yards. Um, and then also to help like orient ourselves to that, if you put 10 American football fields beside each other, that is 1,000 yards. So if you've been to a, a football game, you've seen how big a football field is. So just imagine 10 of those back to back. Um, so that's this distance that was going to be between the people and the Ark of the Covenant going before them. So it's going to be a pretty good distance. Um, but again, he's wanting, God is wanting his people to witness his miraculous work and his provision for his people. And I also just love where it says also in the verses, like, in order that you may know the way you shall go, because you haven't passed this way before. So God is going to lead them. He's going to go before them, show the way that they're going to go, but they're also just going to be able to witness, like, his, his power over creation to be able to lead them into um, to the promised land and over the Jordan River. Um, and so before they cross over, there's just one more thing that God is inviting his people to do in preparation. So if you, if you look at verse 5, it says, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Um, so consecration is probably a word we're not really too familiar with. So to consecrate something is like to, to, be, able to, to be set apart or to be made holy. Um, and so what God is saying here is um, God is calling the people to himself and to his own holiness. He's calling themselves to make themselves distinct and separate from the world and to make themselves available to, to what he wants to do and who he is. Um, so he's just calling them to prepare their hearts and their minds for, for what he's about to do. Um, and we also see that word, and you're like, okay, so like, what does it actually like look like to consecrate yourself? Um, so we kind of have a glimpse of what this could have looked like um, back in Exodus. So when Moses was back at Mount Sinai, um, back in Exodus chapter 19, um, he calls the Israelites to consecrate themselves, and he specifically calls them to wash their clothes, and to abstain from sexual relations. So it's kind of like these outward acts that were going to prepare their hearts. And there was a helpful comment um, from a commentator named Martin Woodstra. He said, um, commenting on this, uh, outward rites were meant to further 
inward openness toward God and his act. So by them um, washing their clothes, abstaining from sexual relations, it was setting themselves apart to be able to focus their hearts and their minds on who God was and who God is, um, and just preparing for what God is about to do. We also, like, I'm also reminded, like, in thinking about this too, like in Leviticus 19, um, God says, like, for his people, like, he calls his people to be holy as he is holy. Um, and there would be a people that were wholly devoted to himself and to no other. Um, and so consecrating would have been a way for them to, um, to set, align their hearts with who God is, um, which kind of brings us to our first point. So our first point is this, that God invites his people to align their hearts with him. Um, so consecrating would have been a way for them to show um, and represent that they belong to God and to God alone. Um, and so I think it's also important, so we talk about what consecration is, but why would it have been so important for this moment? Um, and the next part of that verse really tells us, he says, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And so I think what this kind of highlights for us is that for what God is about to do, like all the glory and honor and power is going to go to him for what he's about to do and not necessarily to, to the Israelites. So when they cross the river, the inhabitants on the other side of the river aren't going to be like, oh, look, look what the Israelites did. But it's like, look what the God of the Israelites did. He just allowed them to cross the river. So all the focus, all the glory, all the honor is going to go to God. And so the consecration was them preparing their hearts for what God was about to do. And the last verse in verse 6, uh, this very, I feel like this is a very special moment that's happening. Um, so Joshua directs the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant before the people. Um, so again, if we're reminded that the Ark of the Covenant rep represented God's presence among his people. So you imagine that the people are like standing there or sitting there watching, and the Levitical priests start to begin to pick up the Ark of the Covenant, and they're going towards the Jordan. And it's this moment that they see that God is going before them to the promised land, that he's going to make a way, he's going to lead them there. Um, and I just imagine like there's just like this solemn moment, but also maybe like a moment of excitement of like, yes, like the time has finally come. We're about to enter the land. Um, and so he's just calling them to prepare their hearts for what he's about to do. Um, and I think that um, what God is calling them like into the season, like for preparation before crossing the river, um, he just wants their full attention and their worship. Um, I think that same thing is, is true for us. Like just like God invited uh, the Israelites to align their hearts with him, then like he, allows us, he offers us to do that too today. Um, just as he wanted the full attention and worship of the Israelites, he wants our full attention and worship. Um, and just as he wanted their hearts and their minds, he wants our hearts and our minds. Um, and like when we, we talked about consecration in this passage, how it was considered like an outward act that would have helped the Israelites kind of reflect inward on like who God is and be open to what he wants to do. Um, but I think today for us, um, in light of the new covenant, in light of Jesus, of what he's done for us, um, we look to Jesus that he's the one who makes us holy through salvation in him. He's the one who rescues us and redeems us and makes us new. And it's his righteousness that he gave us that allows us to be holy and walk in holiness. Um, and I think that there's a, a passage in Romans 8 that I think is helpful for us to read that is like helpful kind of to see like what does it look like for us to walk today? Um, what does it look like to, to live a consecrated life? Or like what does it look like to walk in holiness? Um, so Romans 8, chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 8, verses 12 through 15 says this. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of, of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So this passage shows for us that it's, it's through Christ that God has set us apart from the world um, and has made us for a people for himself. So he's not asking us to go back and to live a life of sin and disobedience, but he's offering us to and inviting us in to, to walk with him, to know him, to love him, not just with a head knowledge, but with a heart knowledge of who he is, his love and his sacrifice for us. And he invites us to die to ourselves um, and to live for his purposes rather than ours. Um, so this first chunk of the text that we've been looking at is God is preparing the hearts of his people. So now we're going to step into the next portion of the text, which is verses 7 through 17. So if you uh, direct, I'm going to direct you back to the text. So back in verse 7, 
it says, The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. So what's happening here? Um, so God is pulling aside Joshua when he said, just like I had a special relationship with Moses and just like Moses was a leader for his people and the people respected him, I'm going to do the same thing for you, Joshua. You're going to be a leader for the people and they're going to respect you the same way that they respected Moses. And the same way that my presence was with Moses, my presence is going to be with you, which is such a huge thing. And he gives specific instructions to Joshua to tell the priests how they're going to cross the Jordan River. He like, specifically says this is how it's going to happen. It's specific, specifically going to be with the priests walking into the waters of the Jordan and standing in the water. Okay, so let's keep going. So Joshua calls the people together to give them this instruction. In verse 9 it says, um, And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Um, so I just want to pause right there real quick. Because Joshua just said a pretty incredible statement. Um, he says this. He says, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he's about to go before you and prepare a way for you into the land. This is a huge statement. He's making a huge statement here about what he believes about God, but also um, about the gods of the other nations. He's saying God is not like a god of the other nations where he's just like this wooden or clay idol um, that the people would worship, but he is alive. He can act and intervene on the behalf of his people. He's making this contrast here, um, and he's showing how God is, has his power over creation. He's going to make a way for his people to deliver them to the other side of the river. And, yeah, again, like not only is he going to cross the river, but he's going to go before them as they continue to take the land. He's going to be the one who makes a way for them to do that. All right, so let's keep going. So, Sorry, there's a lot of reading, but we're, we're going to trucking along. So Joshua then gives the instruction to his people. Um, he says in verse 11, Behold, quick note, uh, whenever texture, or scripture says the word behold, it's always one of those words you're just like, you just pause, like take a look at this word, because I feel like the author is like, or whoever's speaking that is like wanting you to pay attention to what's happening, what he's about to say next. And this was really important for the people. He's like, I'm about to give you instructions about what you need to do, so I need to kind of listen. So behold, <laughs> take, take, listen quickly. Um, so it says, uh, verses 12 or 11, keep going. So the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So the people now understand what God is specifically going to do for them. Um, so the priests are going to take the Ark of the Covenant and bring it before the people, and they're going to step into the Jordan, um, and the river is going to stop flowing. But also, like, notice right here that uh, Joshua says, like, select 12 people from amongst the, the 12 tribes, one from each tribe. Um, and I also just, like, note here he doesn't, like, tell them what they're going to do. And as I was reading this, I was just reminded, like, when I was in school, and, like, a teacher would say, I need, like, two volunteers, but never told you, like, what, the what you're going to volunteer for. So you're sitting there like, I'm not going to volunteer until you say because I'm not about to go up there and embarrass myself. I don't think that was probably the case here, but that's like all I could think of when I read this. But I think Joshua is definitely going to instruct them what this means later. So let's just take a mental note that he's saying, just take 12 people from the tribes of Israel. We're just going to set you apart um, for a later purpose. Okay, so let's watch as the people step out in obedience. So we're going to go to verses 14 and 15. It says, so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come across as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water. And there's like this little note right here. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. Um, so uh, just to, on that quick note that the text makes, so we see that the Jordan River is currently at flood stage. Um, and to help you kind of like understand like what that could mean is that 
I was reading about this that like during the flood season or during the harvest, like um, the Jordan could be as wide as like a hundred feet. And again, to like orient ourselves to that, that's like three school buses back to back. So this wasn't like some small like little creek or like a babbling brook that the people are crossing over. This is like a large a river that they're gonna have to cross and this river has force. Um, so this wasn't gonna be like this easy task for the people to do, um, but they were gonna have to trust God that he was gonna make a way for them. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I just also to note this as well, um, it's not like five or 10 people are crossing the river. It's like a whole nation of people. So I can't imagine like trying to bring my kids, or I don't have kids, but like if I had a family, <laughs> I don't know why I said that, but I, like I couldn't imagine if I had like kids, like trying to like bring them all together, like you know, go cross into the land or like trying to like get all my stuff together to do that. I can imagine like, it's like a stressful time for a lot of people. There's a lot of things that they're gonna have to trust the Lord with to, to cross that. And also like, I could imagine like, if the river's at flood stage, I could imagine the people being like, why now? Like, why can't we just wait until like this season passes so like it's like smaller so we can get across, it'd be easier. Or maybe they're like, can we just like go around? Like, I don't know, I could, <laughs> I could see them saying that. But there's something that God wants to do through this. Um, so, but we see here that the people are gonna respond in obedience to the Lord, to follow where he's leading them across the river. Um, and so we see that the water begins to dry up as the feet of the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant into the river. So it goes on in verse 16 to say, the water is coming down from above and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. All right, so take us back to our map. Marker. Um, so Adam could have been, I don't know, probably like right about here. It was just above where Shatim was. But what happened is that all the water going down to the Dead Sea would have dried up. So that just kind of helps you a little bit orient yourself where we're at. Um, and so the water dries up and the people begin their journey across the Jordan um, towards the city of Jericho. So it says in verse 17, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. So what we see here is that God is fulfilling so many promises to his people um, here in this moment. Specifically here in this moment, uh, he's fulfilling his promise like, I'm going to deliver you across the Jordan River. I'm going to make a way for you to cross this. So he specifically is fulfilling his promise in that. But if we take a step back, again, like we talked about earlier, he's de delivering them into the promised land. Like this is a promise that the people have been waiting for for years and years and years. And he's finally making this way for the people to be able to cross this. So there's so many promises the Lord is fulfilling here um, and to bring them safely into the land. Um, and so we saw how the first point where God is like preparing his people, he's calling them to align their hearts with him. And this next uh, point that I want to draw from the story is that how God invites his people to respond in faith and partake in his provision. And I'll say that again. God invites his people to respond in faith and partake in his provision. Again, I could imagine that the people could have come to the river, seen it in flood stage and been like, it's a no for me. I'm going to go. I'm going to take the long way around. I'm going around. Um, but they don't do that. Like, they prepare their hearts for the Lord, and they're like, okay, Lord, whatever you want to do, we're going to follow in obedience to you. We're going to trust you. Um, and they get to experientially witness God's provision for his people after it dried up. Um, and um, I wanted to share a quick story with you that kind of reminds me of a story in my life where God provided in a huge way. Um, so to give you a little bit of context, so I went to a school or college down in uh, Virginia called Liberty University, and um, freshman year was great, loved it. Sophomore year, not so great. Um, so my sophomore year, um, I remember that like my family was going through a lot of difficulty back home, and as a result, there were just like a lot of like insecurities and doubts about what God was calling me into, and like, is this is this right, Lord? Is this the right path that you have for me? I also remember that I was like really just struggling over the brokenness of my sin, and it was just like felt like chaos. So I remember that my sophomore year, um, I was I was previously a business major, and I decided to say I'm just going to go. Did I say business? I was previously a ministry major. And I was like I'm going to go to business because I don't know what, what's happening right now. And then I was also supposed to be on a ministry team on a hall, on campus, um, and decided to step down from that as well. So there was just like a lot of damage control that I was doing. So just to kind of orient yourself, it was just like a rough year. Um, but then I remember towards the end of my sophomore year that 
God had placed like a mentor in my life who would disciple me, um, who would teach me more about the grace and love of Jesus and my identity in Christ. And there was a lot of healing and like discipleship that happened in that moment. Um, and the Lord was just bringing a lot of healing. But there was still a lot of like uncertainties about like what, what next steps in life were. Like I was grateful for what the Lord was doing, but um, yeah, it was just kind of a weird season. And I remember like I was the next year, my junior year, I was supposed to move off campus with six other guys, um, which first is not an ideal situation with six guys living together. Uh, two, my room did not have a window that I was going to move into. So I was like, this is not ideal. But also like more like the reason also why it wasn't ideal is like I loved living on campus, loved like being a part of the people that I was with, but it just seemed like the only option that I was going to move off campus. Um, so all that to say, all that context. So I'm living in Lynchburg, which is where Liberty is, um, and over the summer going into my junior year, and I go to a, rest, a restaurant with my friend Luke, um, my, my, my great friend Luke, and he was um, living on campus that next year as a resident assistant, so to kind of orient yourselves to like Liberty's like hall structure, I guess, I don't know. There's like the resident assistant, and there was like a spiritual life coach, prayer leaders, and the prayer leaders would like disciple like the, the guys in the hall, guys or girls in the hall. So um, he was just kind of threw it out there. He was like, hey, like I have this opportunity for like a spiritual life coach on my hall. Like, would you be interested in doing that? And I was like, man, like the Lord, in that season when he asked me that, I was like, the Lord has like been working on my heart. I'm like, oh, this is like, sounds so exciting to be able to do this. Like, I would love to do that. Um, but I just signed, we just signed a lease to like live with these six guys like off campus. And I was like, I, I would love to, but like, I don't think that's going to happen. Like, I mean, I would love to, because it's like the Lord's like working, like I'd love to be with you and like to do that with you, but just like, I don't think it can happen because I would, I would have to break my lease. And so I remember leaving lunch with, with Luke and I was just praying in my car. Um, and was just like, Lord, like I would love to do that. My heart like leaps at the opportunity to be able to serve you and to walk in what you, I feel like you've called me into, even though there's still like a lot of things I'm trying to figure out. Um, and I just remember asking like, Lord, Lord, if you want me to do this, you would have to break my lease. And so I, was, I would pray about it for the next couple of weeks, but it kind of became one of those things that kind of went to the back of my mind where I just really didn't think about it anymore. And I get a call a couple of weeks later, and it's the apartment complex, and they're like, hey, like, um, the apartments aren't going to be ready, <laughs> so you've got to break your lease. And I just remember, okay, so my first instinct was, again, damage control. I was like, I have to find a place for me and five other guys to live. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm like scrambling around, running around. And... Just to orient yourselves, like, there's no other place for six other guys to live together. So I'm like, we're going to split up, figure something out. And it's as I'm, like, running around, it hits me. And I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I just broke my lease. And I, like, I was like, oh, my God, this is so wild. And so I remember, like, I called my friend Luke. I was like, hey, like, this just happened. Is this, like, still an opportunity, like, that I could step into? And he's like, yeah, I think so. Let's see what we can work out. And, um... Eventually, like, it ended up working out where I was able to go back on campus and be able to be on that ministry team. And um, I think I share that story not for it to be just like, oh, that's a cool story, but like, um, kind of just to share a little bit of the significance of that story of like, it may not have seen a very big thing, like, uh, for God to break a lease. But for me, like, it, I think it drastically changed, like, the trajectory of my life in a couple of ways. Um, first way, the guys that I was supposed to live with that year um, off campus, kind of fell off the deep end. Um, and it just, I was already like, like still trying to like, in a season of healing, so it just wasn't a great situation. But also like the hall that I was on, the people that I was with, like I had guys who were strong believers who would disciple me and mentor me um, and pour into me. And like, I also had the opportunity to do that and watch other guys grow as I would kind of just get to share them about like what the Lord was teaching me in that season. Um, it was so sweet. Um, and. I don't know, there's a moment that, like, when I, like, got that call, I could have been, like, no, I'm just not going to even think about, like, going back to live on campus or walk into the ministry that God's calling me to. It's, like, I could just go back to living on campus and just keep doing that if I wanted to. Um, but for me, it was, like, shoot, like, is, this, is the Lord, like, calling me, like, back into to walk in this and to trust him? Um, and to talk about, like, the things that drastically changed from that is, like, so from there, like, changed my ministry back to major. I remember I was sitting in my economics class because I was a business major, weeping because I was like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to learn about economics. This is not my passion. 
And I was also like in my Bible class weeping because I was like, I love this. I want to be a part of this. I want to do this. And um, so I went back to be a ministry major. Um, but then that also led to being a part of an internship um, with Bedrock Lynchburg, where I got to know Drew. And then I also got to know this girl named Rachel. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, from there, we heard about a church starting up here in Fishtown. Um, and I think that like a lot of those opportunities probably wouldn't have happened if the Lord hadn't intervened in that moment. Um, so again, I don't really want to like share that story to be like, wow, this is a cool story. But like, um, I don't know, just a testimony of God's faithfulness to his people. And I'm just an ordinary Joe. Like I don't have like, <laughs> like all these, I don't know, acclimates or whatever, but I'm so grateful for the Lord and the way that he intervenes in our lives and his faithfulness and his goodness. And I don't know. I just thought that's a testimony to his faithfulness. And it's a reminder, like, for all of us, that he's a good provider that takes care of his children. And, like, he knows and he sees the situation and the circumstances that you're walking through. He's faithful to intervene and to deliver and to provide um, for his people. And he's, maybe he's, I don't know, maybe there's something to reflect on that for you today of, like, what is the Lord inviting me into um, to trust him with, to respond in faith with? Um, so we're going to keep moving along because we still have a whole other chapter, but we're not going <laughs> to, fortunately, uh, maybe not fortunately, but we're going to just summarize a couple of things, but we're going to be focusing specifically on a memorial that the Lord is asking his people to create in chapter four. Um, highly recommend going through and reading through this whole chapter, um, but we're specifically going to focus on a couple of things, um, but just to kind of summarize a couple of things for us. So we see first that the Lord is inviting his people to construct a memorial for, for his people to remind them of what he did that day of allowing them to cross the river on dry land. Um, and so in uh, this chapter is also going to be a recounting of the crossing of the Jordan. But then also we're going to see like as soon as like the priests step out of the river, like or the dried up part of the river, the river flows back again. So it wasn't like this like permanent thing the Lord was doing. Literally just did it for the sole purpose of Israel just crossing the river, which is wild. Um, and then the chapter um, closes again with like, the people constructing the memorial. Um, and the, Joshua kind of teaches the purpose of why they're doing that. So we're going to uh, specifically focus on that and on that memorial. And we're going to start in verse 1 where it says, um, When all the nation of, had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them out over you, and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. When Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. That when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So remember those 12 people that we talked about a couple minutes ago? Um, so where you asked for like volunteers? Um, so we finally figured out what their purpose is for us. So, uh, but God provides instruction that the people, these 12 guys, these 12 men from each tribe, or one from each tribe, are going to go into the river where the priests are still standing. They're going to grab a stone, and they're going to bring it back out to construct this memorial for the people. Um, so it's supposed to be a reminder for them of God's miraculous work that he did that day. He stopped at the waters of the Jordan for them to be able to cross over. Um, and so um, what would this be a sign for? So this would have been a sign for people just to be, to be reminded of God's faithfulness, of his provision, to providentially provide for his people. Um, and so like, even when the kids ask, like, what does this mean? Like, they're not just like, going to give them this historical fact of like, oh, on this day, this happened. It's supposed to be a reminder for the people um, to encourage them in their faith that God is the one who provided for, for his people to deliver them into the land, and that he's going to continue to make a way. Um, and so this memorial would have been like a physical symbol for the people not to be worshipped, but to lead them into worship of the Lord, reminding them of what he can do and what, who he is in his character. Um, so let's jump down to verses 19 through 20 because 
It's going to explain a little bit of the same stuff again, but it's going to go into a little bit of further detail. So verse 19, it says, The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. So a few things. So again, it recounts a couple of things we read in verses 1 through 6. Um, and we're going to read the rest of the verse a little bit later on. But um, we're just going to first note that this, story, this happens um, on the tenth day of the first month, which for, probably for a lot of us is not a significant date. But for the Israelites, this would have been a very special and unique time for his people because this was right before the Passover. Um, so the Passover was how, where God literally passed over Egypt and allowed his people to escape a captivity to the Egyptians. Um, so it is a pivotal moment in the history of the, of the Israelites to be able to, to have the exodus and leave Egypt. Um, and it's just crazy, like, the timing of, like, what God did then and what he's doing now. Um, and now, like, it's also just cool because it's like, there's a new generation of Israelites here. So a lot of them probably don't, either didn't remember or weren't there for the exodus from Egypt. So it's almost like their own personal, like, deliverance uh, over the river um, into the promised land. Um, so uh, the text is going to show us, um, you know, where the people ended up at Gilgal, which is literally, like, right up here, right beside Jericho. Not far away at all, right on the border. Um, and so the text goes on to say, um, And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that the people, so that the peoples of earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So we see here in this passage, so we did, previously we just talked about God's instructions and to do this, and now the, the people, or the 12 uh, guys are going to set up the stones to create the memorial. And you'll probably know, it says the same thing about the children when they come and ask, like, what do these stones mean? Joshua instructs the people, this is a reminder of God's deliverance of his people, his miraculous work on that day, that he would dry up the Jordan River for his people to cross over. And there's a specific comparison, to put this down, I'm like waving this thing around. Um, and there's a specific comparison for his people of like, just as the God delivered them out of Egypt, so he's also delivering them over the, like as he delivered out of Egypt through the Red Sea, he's also delivering his people over the Jordan River into his promised land. And so, in verse 24, he gives us the purpose of, of why they remember this. He says, so that, which is a purpose statement, all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So God is inviting his people to remember and reflect upon who he is, what, is done, what he's done, his saving power, and his work amongst his people, um, despite like, the challenges that are around them. And as they reflect... Like the hope is that their hearts and their souls be stirred um, to align their hearts with the Lord um, and continue to respond in obedience to Him. Um, and the people who crossed the river really got to experience the like, like experience like the Lord and His faithfulness and His provision for His people. Um, and that if God was worthy of their trust to deliver them across this dangerous task of crossing the river, that He's going to be continue to be faithful in the future as they're going through the land as they're doing the conquest that. He's going to continue to provide and take care of them and make a way for them. And that he's worthy of their trust. Also, he's worthy of their trust in that, like, as they settle in the land, that he's going to continue to provide for them as they live um, the rest of their lives there. So, this brings us to our last point today that I have for us. So God invites his people to remember his provision and respond in obedience. Um, so I remember something that I wrote on my, I had a big whiteboard in the common area of my room in my senior year. Of college, and it, I wrote this like, if God has been faithful in the past, and He will surely be faithful in the future. And it was a reminder for me because there were a lot of difficult situations that were happening my senior year, um, a lot of difficult conversations. Um, and I would remind myself, like, remember when like God broke your lease and like allowed you to like step back into what He was calling you into, and how He's been providing for you? Like, He can still provide. He's still faithful today, even though it's difficult, even though it's hard. Like, He's still going to provide and make a way. Um, it was just like a reminder, like, okay, like, he's still faithful, and I can still respond in obedience and trust to him. And I think it's just so cool, because it's like, 
the, the Israelites were, were instructed to remember what the Lord had done that day. And like, this is a story that like has been like told for generations and generations. I mean, we're literally talking about it today. Like we're teaching through it um, of what God did that day. And I don't even really know if like the Israelites would have fully understood like the grat the gravity of like what happened that day, but like how that would, this story today would have been like a building block of God's story of redemption for his people um, um, throughout history. Um, and how it points us today to, to Jesus and his work of salvation, his work of deliverance for his people from evil. Um, I remember there's a verse in Colossians that he transferred us from the domain of darkness into the, his kingdom of light. Um, and that same truth is for us today. Um, he takes us who used to be in a domain of darkness and delivers us into his kingdom. He calls us sons and daughters, his, invites us into his family. Um, just as he provided salvation for his people then and delivered them into his land, he is saving us from our sins and bringing us into new life with Jesus. And so I think today, like, there's just an orientation around God's invitation of what he's inviting us into um, today as we read through this passage. Um, we see how we saw how God invites His people to align their hearts with Him. He invites us to uh, respond in faith and to partake in His provision, but then also that He um, rem- just rem- calls us to remember His His faithfulness, His work, and to respond in obedience in the future. Um, so as we close today, um, that's kind of what I um, hope we can take some time to reflect as we close in prayer and as Aaron comes back up. Um, to lead worship, we're just going to spend some time in prayer, um, just focusing on um, on those truths. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Um, the miraculous work that you did so many generations, so many years ago, how the gravity of that story still rings true and so powerful for us today. But even though it happened to a people that lived a long time ago, the story reminds us of your faithfulness. It reminds us that you're a good provider, that you take care of your children. You're faithful to fulfill your promises, that you don't abandon your people, you make a way for them. So God, today we bring you our hearts. We bring you our minds. Would you remind us of the work of Jesus, who lived the perfect life, who came to this world to save sinners, to rescue us from sin and death, to give us new life and eternity with you. Make a way that we would have a relationship with you. We thank you that you are faithful to your promises. We thank you that you are faithful to forgive. We're thankful that you're faithful even when we're faithless. God, that you still make a way. So God, this morning, I don't know, again, I don't know what we're bringing to the table. Uh, maybe there's something um, in this room that someone is tr- not sure how to trust you with. Maybe it's a, there's a lot in their life right now that they're trusting you with, but there's this one small thing on the side over here that they're like, God, I don't, I don't know if I can trust you with that. God, um, you've shown us that you're worthy of our trust. You care for your children. God, 
how do you say that through Jesus we have confidence to be able to access the throne of grace? How would you help us to be strong and courageous today? That if there's that thing that we're holding back from you, we'd bring it to you. Grant us your courage this morning, Lord. How maybe there's a sin to leave behind. Maybe it's a lie that we're holding on to that we can't not believe just because it feels so true to us. Would you spell any lies in this moment, Lord? God, would you remind us that you're a good God, you're a good provider. You take care of your children. We thank you for Jesus and his salvation. You've rescued us from our sin and given us new life. So God, we worship you. We respond today in obedience and worship to you. We sing hallelujah to you, Lord, because you're worthy of it all. So God, let us be a space for you. Would you come and meet with us? Would we meet with you, experience you this morning? To know your love and your mercy. To be reminded that you are with us, you're for us, and that you're going before us, and that any challenges in front of us, Lord, that they're not impossible to you. We can give those things to you into your hand. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.